0: are listening to the academy revival podcast this is drew resident of the montevilla neighborhood and huge fan of the academy theater i'm here with doorman the person who spearheads
1: revival programming at the academy what's up hey drew here we are again this time to discuss eight movies that are going to be featured in our september 2023 program uh, i'm really excited about this program uh, this came about kind of as a synthesis of several different ideas that we had and instead of having one theme that unites the entire month we've got a couple different pairings that I'll walk you through as we talk about each movie but I think it's really a cool structure that's a little unique for us and uh, I'm excited to go through it. All right let's dive into our first week so September 1st through the 7th Um, We have our first movie. It's Terminator 2, Judgment Day from 1991. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Here's the description. Arnold Schwarzenegger returns as the Terminator in this explosive action-adventure spectacle. His mission? To protect John Connor, the boy destined to lead the freedom fights of the future. His opponent? The T-1000 the most lethal machine ever created, sent back through time to kill young John. His ally? Sarah Connor, John's mother. Linda Hamilton co-stars reprising her role as the quintessential survivor, a woman warrior whose warnings go unheeded by a world careening towards a nuclear holocaust she knows is inevitable. Co-written, produced, and directed by James Cameron, The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss, T2 is a tour de force of stunts and astounding special effects built around a touching and emotional human story. Visually stunning, unexpectedly moving, the film is a true
0: epic. Heck yeah. Can you do the, the theme music for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know you enjoyed singing last, last week. Um, that'll be on you know our outtake episode <laughs> if we ever release that. So T2 iconic obviously um Cameron really kind of um flexing his his you know abilities with more budget and more time and um what's exciting for us is Terminator is one of the first movies we previewed for the podcast right or did we just review it because we
1: just reviewed it yeah and um yes it is kind of a good continuity here um and that is one reason why we are playing terminator 2 is because we recently played in june terminator and it's fantastic this is going to be another fantastic 4k dcp um it's going to look great it's going to sound great it's going to be awesome to see it with a big crowd on the big screen it's an action-packed weekend perfect for a holiday weekend um, and this is you know Cameron really moving towards the action genre and away from the sci-fi genre. you know, he had been really establishing himself as a prominent sci-fi director with Terminator and then an aliens, he really nudges again, more towards the action and then abyss you get a lot more you get action still a very very sci-fi oriented movie and terminator 2 is another nudge you know he's got even bigger of a budget to play around with and it's just another nudge for him sort of a little bit out of the sci-fi and towards sort of the second half of his career um so i kind of see this as um a little bit of a A little bit of the last movie in his sort of initial wave of films, Um, and you know, and this is kind of after uh, the abyss, but uh, before True Lies, and True Lies is is very different than um, anything he's done before that. And then, of course, we get Titanic after that, which is even more different. But um, they still have that signature Cameron flavor through all of them, which I think people will, you know find really compelling um to watch in terminator 2 but this is kind of the end of a saga that he did over the course of four films
0: yeah and it's i mean um a lot of people are is stoked about him spending you know, <laughs> the rest of his life making avatar movies um is like Technically impressive as those are and clearly aligned with his environmental interests and and kind of personal um, agenda, like just wanting to move technology forward. Um, <laughs> my cat is <laughs> trying to join the podcast. But um, so I, T2 in some ways for me feels kind of like like you're describing it as the first wave. and In other ways, it almost feels like the peak yeah. of his powers um, for my personal tastes. But um, obviously, Titanic is is like <laughs> the one of the biggest modern blockbusters of of our lifetimes. Um, so that has appeal for for everyone. But T two has appeal for anyone that likes action and wants the wants to see kind of all the spectacle that you're describing with a crowd. Um, I'm super excited for this.
1: Yeah, and, and when I was, you know, researching descriptions and stuff, I was thinking about this film and spoilers and and I was, you know, kind of just realizing that this movie it's it's a really an action-based movie and and telling people that they're going to get spectacle and stunts, it's really not much of a spoiler. I'm I'm, you know, trying to give preface, but that, you know, it is an action movie and the the um, budget really Um, is there for cameron to sort of just go to town in a way that he did in the abyss but he's taking it to the next step here and part of that next step is with the special effects of dennis mirren uh, who you people probably aren't super familiar with his name but um, is responsible for the return of the Jedi all the Star Wars prequels, Jurassic Park. He worked with Cameron in the Abyss, Casper. So his special effects just made a huge wave across cinema from the late 80s to the through the '90s and into the uh, the aughts. Um and so you're getting that here, um, and you're also getting you know, Edward Furlong, who's just one of the best kids ever to play, you know, um, uh, uh, a teen uh, in uh, an action movie. Yeah. I mean, he's he's really just something special to behold, um, and he never quite come you know he has a couple other big hits but this was kind of you know i really love brain scan that he's in <laughs> uh, american history x is really good too but this is this is really his, his 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 spotlight here and uh his moment to shine and it's really just an iconic role i love the part where he uh gets the the cool th- um gadget that helps him steal cash from the atm i mean oh got it, i always wanted to have that yeah the motorcycle so in some ways he's this kind of archetypal 90s kid um that sort of like hook you know this is 1991 we're so we're laying the groundwork here for what's to come later in the decade in film sure yeah
0: like the punk kid archetype is on full display and and he is just a really fun character to to be around Um, we get some arcade action yeah um, without spoiling anything um i think i can be vague enough to say um if there is anyone that doesn't know that that hasn't seen this movie before there is a a very interesting kind of um spin (laughs) i'm trying to use like the most generic word possible but when i rewatched it with my girlfriend like um around the time when we watched terminator um she was going in blind so there is there is um, something quite unexpected to look forward to if you haven't if you somehow haven't seen this movie and don't know what
1: happens in it. <laughs> Absolutely, and if you accidentally stumble upon some of the plot points, I wouldn't be discouraged. Um, you're still going to be witnessing the. Uh, Spectacles of these uh, explosive action sequences um, firsthand. And there's no uh, description that really can capture um, some of those moments. So that's uh, Terminator 2. Okay. And uh, we're, we are pairing that. We, we chose Terminator 2 to pair it. For a sequel September with a movie that's coming later in the month that we'll get to but uh, playing the same week and contrasting with Terminator 2 is a little movie called Pan's Labyrinth from 2006 the legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world In darkness, there can be light. In misery, there can be beauty. In death, there can be life. Pan's Labyrinth. Here's the description. An Academy Award-winning dark fable set five years after the end of the Spanish Civil War, Pan's Labyrinth encapsulates the rich visual style and genre-defying craft of Guillermo del Toro. Eleven-year-old Ophelia, played by Ivana Baquero, in a mature and tender performance, comes face-to-face with the horrors of fascism when she and her pregnant mother are uprooted to the countryside where her new stepfather, played by Sergi Sergi Lopez, a sadistic captain in General Francisco Franco's army, hunts down Republican guerrillas refusing to give up the fight. The violent reality in which Ophelia lives merges seamlessly with her fantastical interior world when she meets a fawn in a decaying labyrinth and is set on a strange mythic journey that is at once terrifying and beautiful. In his revisiting of this bloody period in Spanish history, del Toro creates a vivid depiction of the monstrosities of war, infiltrating a child's imagination and threatening the innocence of youth.
0: Okay. Um, There's some plot details in that description that I totally kind of forgot about the political or the the war tie-ins with it and more remember kind of the visual effects and and the monsters from the movie. So this, yeah.
1: And that's kind of just, I, I think a good place to start with Pan's labyrinth is that it has this historical setting and, I would say that 75 percent of the people who watch this movie, enjoy this movie and love this movie don't have a, you know, firm knowledge of the Spanish Civil War. And so there's that perspective. But you don't really need the context and the historical knowledge to enjoy this movie. You, you know, just knowing that there are fascists in Spain at the time is enough to be able to access this movie's coolness and right. the coolness of it is that it, it does take place during this uh, interesting historical moment but at the same time is juxtaposing this really cool magical realism um that guillermo del toro brings uh, to fruition and i'm sure people uh you know have one image in their head that comes to mind with some of these monsters um and uh you know if you're not familiar with it, just, just go in blind and, and trust that. Um, but you know, seeing these things again after you know, I, I don't think I, s- I saw this since 2006 and I watched the first half, and I'm really excited to revisit this. This movie holds up and is definitely a masterpiece. It is a very visionary and unique movie, um, that is unlike a lot of things I've ever seen. And uh, magical realism is a really cool subgenre and film. I highly encourage people to. Uh, uh, research it, get into it, watch some of the other movies involved in it. But if you do prefer a little bit of context, it's not going to ruin your movie to say that the Spanish civil war takes place between 1936 and 1939. Um, It's a very much left versus right um, war um, And it was won by The fascists and it set up A dictatorship that lasted all the way To 1975 So this is a big moment in Spanish history um, That's that's very short um, But it's a, it's really influential for Decades that comes after it So I didn't know that the first time I watched it And I made sure to kind of give myself So that's it's really an interesting Rewatch value mm-hmm. that you can Take with this movie is giving yourself a little bit more historical context or a lot more reading a couple books about the Spanish civil war it's just a fascinating period of time uh that you can get into and this and that's what guillermo del toro did and he's putting it on film in a, in a very uh accurate
0: way so up until maybe six years ago or seven years ago around when i moved to Portland. I hadn't seen this movie. I can't even remember. I saw it in theaters here. I can't even remember mm. at which theater. Yeah, I feel like it was a smaller, random one that isn't even the 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 main indie theaters we talk about. But, sure, sure. Um, so that was the first time I saw it. I definitely am intrigued at revisiting it um, with this you kind of like through the historical lens a little bit more. Um, also, I have to mention, you know, you said blind, going
1: blind, visionary or those winks to the, the yeah, imagery here. T- possibly, <laughs> which I'm not going to go super deep into, yeah. but when I was doing research on the film, I, I was kind of pleasantly surprised to find out that that character is rooted in a Japanese folklore tradition. And if anybody's mm-hmm. interested, you should look up that Wikipedia because it's really interesting and really cool. Um, but all the Spanish Civil War stuff aside, I really think it's all about the paganism in this movie. It's it's kind of a folk horror movie in a sense, um, and um, all of the stuff with uh, the imagination uh, and the imaginary fairy tale element of this is what people remember. It's what people are known for, and it's really, really cool. So... Um, it, to me when i rewatched the first half i was immediately just kind of reminded of narnia in a stra- in a in a way like that a darker I, narnia yeah a darker narnia but it kind of it, the things that really reminded me of is that ophelia's kind of coming from this coming into this aristocratic setting there's a big house with a weird old labyrinth and stuff and then she's leaving that into a you know mythic world um and that to me just really reminded me of uh the narnia series so if you're a fan of those you know hop in because this is this is right in that vein
0: excellent yeah um also guillermo del toro's career trajectory has been interesting with shape of water (laughs) being kind of not everyone's favorite best picture winner and then um, Pinocchio, which I, I didn't see. So he's always made accessible movies to younger and family audiences. I guess Shape of Water is actually more an adult movie. But this is the type of movie I wonder what the like cutoff um, age is. Like I was already, you know, old when it came out. My sister's three years younger than me. And I kind of remember her really latching onto this movie. But like, a like, early teen or something like this movie could be scary for a certain age group absolutely I feel like, in, in watching it like in
1: rewatching it it felt fairly adult i was surprised at how adult it felt um and i encourage people to take caution with that if they're thinking about bringing small children but at the same time it really has a fairy tale component that w- would resonate with some older young kids Yep. okay um, and uh yeah
0: cool um, well, that's the that's week one. Do you want to say the Did
1: you say the dates? I did. It's the first through the seventh, okay. and you know, it's no coincidence that um, our general manager is parent is sort of timing this uh, screening with the uh, Guillermo del Toro exhibit at OMSI that's been going on for quite some time. Okay, so good to know. Yeah, uh, go Guillermo. All right, so our next week is September eighth through the fourteenth. And we're starting off with a movie from our uh, female director showcase pair, uh, which the first one is The Virgin Suicides from 1999. My intentions for your daughter are entirely honorable. What might those intentions be?
0: So much has been said about the girls over the years.
1: Those girls have a bright future ahead of them.
0: But we have never found an answer.
1: Her act was a cry for help. I heard it was an accident.
0: Even then, as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. we got a full tank of gas. We'll take you anywhere you want to go.
1: That time. We've been waiting for you guys. Obviously, Doctor. You've never been a 13-year-old girl. Four sisters put their own lives in jeopardy. They'll all be gone by next
0: year. Yes, very, very excited. This is probably in my top five. I know Letterboxd gives us four slots (laughs) for our movies, which makes things really hard, but this is right up there for me.
1: Well, at the Academy, we have a top five wall. So uh-huh. we'll make sure that this gets that, you know, gets one of those slots for cool. your picks. Um, yeah, all the employees pick their top five. It's a tradition. Uh, so let's go through the description. Yep. Uh, with this debut feature, Sophia Coppola announced her singular vision, exploring the aesthetics of femininity while illuminating the interior lives of young women. An adaptation of the highly acclaimed novel, The Virgin Suicides conjures the ineffable melancholy of teenage longing in its story of the suicides of the five Lisbon sisters, stifled by the rules of their overprotective religious parents, as told through the collective memory of a group of men who were boys at the time and still yearned to understand what happened. Evoking its 1970s suburban setting through ethereal cinematography by Ed Lockman and an atmospheric score by Air, and featuring a magnetic performance by Kirsten Dunst, the film secured a place for its director in the landscape of American independent cinema and has become a coming-of-age touchstone. Perfect
0: summary. A couple of things that that are worth like emphasizing would be. Um the soundtrack and the score combined <laughs> are, are incredible. Ethereal is definitely the word that comes to mind and I was reading some quotes from uh, Sophia and Kirsten Dunst who was like it said she was 16 when they cast her so yeah. I don't know if it was she was 16 or 17 when they filmed it but they're actually like age appropriate teens and the way the movie is told like it's It's just such like a detached kind of um, um, poetic spiritual look at these teen. I, I love um, teen high school movies, but this one has a tone and, and you know, sort of a tragic nature built in that you don't get from Mean Girls or <laughs> something like that. Um, even something like Heathers, which is is really dark and, and violent and over the top is like a funny satirical tone. This is based on a novel. So it kind of has like that literary quality and, and the, the voiceover and um, the score come all of that combines to just like, give you almost an out-of-body experience watching it so
1: yeah kirsten dunst is a real cult figure among the academy staff we we, we have programmed many uh imaginary dunst months and stuff um pair and, this with melancholia
0: that'll and, be a good
1: yeah and, <laughs> double feature so this is going to be a new 4k restoration brand new Um, and when, you know, it got announced, you know, everybody on the staff just kind of was like, Oh, okay, we got to do this. It's going down. And I had assumed that i had seen this movie. I I assumed that I saw it around the time of loss in translation and I hadn't seen it in forever. And so I checked it out from movie madness and I put on the first half and I totally haven't seen this movie. And I was really struck buy it. And I, you know, made sure that I only watched up to a certain point. And I'm going to watch it in the theater, you know, properly. Um, so I'm excited to really get to um, experience this movie for the first time. Um, and, you know, as we said, it's written and directed by Sofia Coppola. She, it's produced by her dad. This is her breakout movie. And she's really got a interesting style here. And to me, it really the first movie that came to my mind was, I felt like I was watching Rushmore a little bit. Oh, interesting. And I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson fan, and that's mostly because of what Wes Anderson has kind of become synonymous with today. But I really love some of his earlier movies, and I really felt like this was kind of like her Rushmore, in a sense, of this created a very indie style. It feels like an indie movie from the mid two thousands. But since it's 1999, it has this freshness that Rushmore has too, where it's not codified. This isn't something that everybody's hip to yet. It's a fresh style that I I feel like, uh, it just feels more original in, in a certain way. And, um, it doesn't feel like, uh, it's, uh, self aware.
0: So, um, yeah, I read a, another quote from Sophia where she said that until she read um, the the novel by Jeffrey uh, Eugenides, yeah. um, I've read a couple of his books. Um, this one and Middlesex is a really kind of ahead of its time um, story about a trans experience and mm-hmm. then um, the marriage plot most recently of his that I read. But she said until she read this book, she wasn't she hadn't even really thought about directing movies. Obviously she'd thought about it probably because of (laughs) her, her family, but like she had an immediate vision in her head of how it should look and feel as she was reading the book. And so it just kind of like compelled her to, to try her. Obviously again, she had access and, and grew up and, and kind of like a lot more in place than, than someone else who just kind of wants to make a movie on a whim. But she was obviously positioned um, artistically to take advantage <laughs> of that opportunity, and um, yeah, it's uh, on the Wes Anderson front. Like I talked about this recently with with um, Asteroid City, where yeah. he's got every reason to want to make lean even further into his own interest and in aesthetic preferences and and whatnot but I there is something about his early work um, Rushmore and even Tenenbaums before things start to feel even more mannered that I connect with a little bit more Um, and so yeah Rushmore you know I'm sure everyone goes through this exercise but I think it's it's more fun with Wes Anderson than most directors to like pick your favorite and Rushmore is the one I always end up on um, but Virgin Suicides. This will be my first opportunity to see it in theaters. Oh, wow! So Great. of the movies that are in my th- this top five, I'm imagining this will be one to cross off that I haven't gotten to see in theaters. She also has a new movie coming out, um, right, Priscilla? Yeah. Um, so it's a good good timing to just go through her film catalog. The The Bling Ring is really fun. Um, somewhere. I haven't seen since I saw it in theaters, but I remember being really kind of impressed by that.
1: And the movie is really funny, and and yeah. and, uh, and I was really surprised to see James Woods, Kathleen Turner. So it just immediately clicked to me in this uh, perfect way of oh man, I really want to see this, and I want to see it on the big screen. Um, so yep. that's, yeah, yeah, great. And uh, Air does the soundtrack um That was a big band in my high school. Is Sexy Boy on the soundtrack? Is that, uh, that was like the big air song that. <laughs> I don't know if, if it's that one. I
0: think they mostly composed new music yeah, for it. I don't so. think it is. Yeah. I think
1: that song maybe came. Later, I mean, if yeah.
0: anyone deserves it, it's Trip Fontaine,
1: Josh Hartnett's character, but yeah. <laughs> he comes out to a, a heart song instead, I think. Yeah. <laughs> But it kind of—I don't know—they're you know, era's vibe. It's very Stereo Lab era. Yeah. You know, it just—it's—it's it's a specific moment in time that we're stepping into with this movie. Even though that's taking place in the '70s, it, it really took me back several decades watching well, it. And yeah. there's
0: great needle drops from '70s music, so yeah, and to supplement their their score.
1: Totally. All right, cool. So that's Virgin Suicides, and that's going to be deliciously juxtaposed with one of our september thrillers the first of which we have scanners from 1981 first you feel its power self-destruct five seconds then you feel the pain four seconds the pressure three seconds the pounding two seconds the terror one second you begin to self-destruct experience the terrifying power of scanners their dogs can kill Here's the description. From the vivid imagination of David Cronenberg, who brought you Videodrome, The Brood, and The Fly, comes a science fiction thriller which probes the potential powers of the human mind. Scanners concerns a group of beings with supernatural extrasensory skills so strong that they can bend, twist, mutilate, and explode other human beings using only the powers of their minds. For some scanners, the talent remains untapped. They know only that they are different, quote-unquote. Starring Stefan Lack, Patrick mcgoo and Michael Ironside from Free Willy, Scanners is a brain-shattering experience designed to explode your mind. (laughs) Okay, well, a little
0: um, intentionality maybe with that
1: description at the end. Yeah, that was me uh, (laughs) supplementing there. Um, So I was trying hard with this description to not give too much context to what the movie is about because it's not super plot heavy but with all these thrillers and i really think of uh scanners as a psychological thriller with sci-fi elements um which people can debate is it body horror i think it has body horror in it but to me it's it's a september movie um and uh what's interesting about it is the plot points in a way but it has a mystery in a, in, a, in a in a in a way that a thriller does and i and i don't think people should delve too deeply into the plot and just know that it's a movie about these th- people called scanners that are able to do stuff with their mind that's all you really right. need to know and that it's cronenberg who's a weirdo and so you're going to get some weird cronenberg stuff
0: yeah i have like this is this is doesn't make any logical sense, but I think for, I watched Virgin Suicides and Videotrome <laughs> very close together for the first time, so those are linked in my head randomly. Nice. But Cronenberg um, is probably one of my favorite directors whose movies, for sometimes for obvious reason, I haven't rewatched a ton of times. Like I've watched The Fly over and over. That one, like, has crazy disgusting at times body horror but Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis is just like perf- that that one has a lot of entertainment value as well as as kind of horror um I haven't revisited this movie um in a while um well actually I've seen it once so I've never revisited it oh, technically wow. um and yeah he's I I guess my point is like he's one of my favorite directors but I just don't rewatch these movies that often because sometimes they're like hard to stomach. I don't think that really applies too much here. This one's more um, kind of like it's got, it's got those moments, but it's not about someone's body breaking down for the entire movie, like, like the fly or,
1: (laughs) and it doesn't have the budget of video drums. So this is a true indie movie and it's my favorite Cronenberg movie. Oh, okay. And it's, and it's part of what I consider to be his holy trilogy that starts with the brood, then goes to Scanners, and then we get Videodrome. So to me, those are just three unstoppable classics. That if you know, if I have my way, they're going to be in constant rotation at the academy. Um, and we played Videodrome last year, uh, which was awesome and super fun. And so it just felt, you know, true to form to play Scanners this year. Um, and so it doesn't have the big studio budget of. Um, Video drone, but it still has kick-ass special effects. So, in addition to getting a really crazy, unique story by David Cronenberg, you're also getting a pure can exploitation movie. So, this mm-hmm. what, this movie is part of the can exploitation subgenre in that it's taking advantage of this tax loophole that was in Canada that heavily subsidized films, and so consequently, this movie is pretty unique because it had a very short pre-production phase they just kind of shoved it into production in order to take advantage of the subsidies and then it had a really long (laughs) post-production where they were using all the subsidies that they you know that they got after that but so you're not getting the big studio budget Um, you're getting the Canadian subsidy budget and you're still getting really great special effects I'm going to say the names of makeup artists Dick Smith from The Exorcist. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. Chris Wallace from Gremlins, also The Fly. fly. And then Stephen Duplius, uh, Robocop, and Gary Zeller, Dawn of the Dead. So we have some big, heavy, creative people coming together and producing this really mind-bending thriller. And it should be seen on the big screen. Howard Shore is the composer for Cronenberg's work at this time. Most people probably know him as composing the Lord of the Rings movies, which I always find to be hilarious. Started root in um, Cronenberg's weird movies. Um, So, uh, you know, one time I saw it at the Hollywood with Michael Ironside. and I'm just a big Ironside fan. He's killer in this movie. But if I I may say this movie is not about Ironside. It's not about Stefan Lack who Stefan Lack, Always gets kind of the short end of the stick. People kind of disparage his performance in this movie. I think it's great. I think it's super nuanced and really daring, and brave. But I really don't think it's about Stefan Lack or Ironside. It's all about Magoohan. So <laughs> Magoohan's mostly known for The Prisoner and Danger Man and Columbo and TV shows. He's in some really great movies. And I really think he steals the show in this movie. And, um, People should go into that knowing that they should be on the lookout for McGuhan. He's awesome okay. in it.
0: Um, those are plenty of reasons for me to revisit it. Um, one other very tenuous tie in, uh, with Sofia Coppola would be that Brandon, uh, Cronenberg, David's son yeah. is falling in his father's footsteps as well, making arguably more disturbing movies than his dad has even made. So, um, all, in, all in on the, Cronenberg and Coppola clans over here
1: (laughs) and last thing. I'm just gonna say about scanners is is that if you're a fan of Cronenberg movies um, You should really uh, watch the interview with John Carpenter David Cronenberg and John Landis that's right from around this time. It's like a half an hour or 45-minute TV um, interview with oh, all wow. three of them, yeah, and it's I'm... just fantastic. They're all at the height of their powers, and John Carpenter's talking about making the thing. It's 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 really cool. Um, so, yeah, definitely watch that. Okay, I will I will look that up. So our third week for September, uh, we have the second film in our female director spotlight, uh, which is a movie directed by Penny Marshall called A League of Their Own. Okay. From 1992. Columbia Pictures would like to take you out to the ballgame for an all-star comedy. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it?
0: The manager,
1: Tom Hanks. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. The catcher, Gina Davis. What do you say we slip in the back seat and you make a man out of me? What do you say I smack you around for a while? Can't we do both? The pitcher, Lori Petty. I made it. I'm a Pete. A Rockford Pete. Here's the description. It's a home run with this hilarious beloved comedy starring Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and Madonna. With baseball lineups and locker rooms left empty during World War II, the newly founded All-American Girls Baseball League brought talented women to the big leagues and brought fans to the stands. The indomitable Dottie Hinson, played by Gina Davis, finds herself leading a ragtag group of players who end up winning over the heart of their has-been coach, Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks. Lori Petty, Rosie O'Donnell, John Lovitz round out an all-star roster based on a true story of the pioneering women who blazed the trail for generations of athletes.
0: Yeah, this is exciting. Um, Baseball season will be winding down and preparing for the playoffs. Um, So that's fun timing. I remember watching this movie as a kid and I was always into sports movies and of course because it featured the female you know a female team instead of like rocky or rudy or yeah, sure. <laughs> most of the movies i had seen that felt really like novel and just kind of like them goofing off them uh, the shenanigans with with tom hanks like i just remember really being charmed by this movie at a at a really young age um when i when i first saw it and um when did it come out
1: 1992
0: okay so i wanted to confirm i could have <laughs> i could have been pretty young um uh, i could have been eight at the at the youngest but um anyway yeah this is um a movie i haven't seen in a while at this point but have really fond you know nostalgic memories for
1: yeah it's a really big staff favorite again at the uh, academy you know i i when i, when I put it on the the program i i was really thinking of other people that we work with and just knowing that people are going to be stoked when we announced that it got confirmed and and so it's it's bringing a a totally lighthearted vibe to september which you know has all these thrillers and action movies and so really glad that we have a comedy here um and i'm really glad to just be playing a movie with gina davis again I, i love gina davis and if you really like beetlejuice um, which I know many of you do uh, <laughs> um, and you haven't seen this movie. You should totally check out this movie. It's based on a true story and it's told in a really, like you said, in a really charming way. Um, and it's not super heavy on the Tom Hanks. It's really Madonna and Gina Davis is uh, cup. It's, you know, it's, it's where they're, le- they're leading the show here.
0: Yeah. Dark haired, sassy Madonna is, is incredible. And, and yeah like tom hanks is comic relief or just kind of like a lot of times punctuating uh a joke or or a scene he's it's definitely is their their story um yeah which is in and, and gina davis kind of anchoring anchoring that side of it so it's uh i'm i'm excited to see it again
1: and it, it's Tom Hanks right in between Turner and Hooch and Sleepless in Seattle, just to put, you know, he's got a long career, just to kind of put in perspective. And he's worked with Penny Marshall, the director, uh, previously in Big. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's a team that's coming together. And we also have Lori Petty, as mentioned in the description, who we just talked about, and Free Willy. All the Free Willy, have six yeah. degrees of Free Willy. Yes, yep. and uh, <laughs> Gina Davis coming right after Thelma and Louise. So we've got all these kind of 90s players Players rosie uh, rosie O'Donnell's in it. it just feels super 90s and just all of these actors are at really pivotable moments in their career uh the composer's hans zimmer who's uh, done not, not million... basil dang it yeah i know right <laughs> um but you know he's right this is right before he does the lion king score oh. i mean so he's just right at the top of his game. He's been doing movies for forever and still going. Um, Yeah. And still going. Um, he'll come up again in this calendar. So it's, it's got a lot of star power behind it and it's really just a fun movie. Okay, cool. So the other movie for September 15th through the 21st is the second movie in our thriller September thriller pair. Uh, it's Jacob's ladder from 1990. Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work. What's wrong? Uh, it's just one of those days.
0: And every day, he wonders what is happening to him. Maybe it's the pressure,
1: Jake. They're like demons, Jess. They weren't human. Director Adrian Lin takes you on an intense, horrifying journey that will haunt you forever in this dark, psychological thriller. Tim Robbins is Jacob Singer. A man who lives in a nightmare. Wounded in Vietnam, he's back home in New York City. Torn between the memories of family and war, Jacob is slowly losing his grip on reality. His beautiful girlfriend, played by Elizabeth Pena, only adds confusion to his life, drawing him deeper into a web of paranoia. So I, I, I kind of synthesize this uh, description from a few different sources and I intentionally left it very vague yep, yep, because yep. this movie has uh, some plot points in it that I think people should go in blind to. So you definitely watch the trailer, you know, get it this is, I'm super excited that we're playing Jacob's ladder. I've been pushing for this movie for years and years and it, I have never seen it on the big screen. I watched it a few years ago and it really holds up. Um, uh, yeah, it's just the perfect psychological thriller that, uh, will set up October for you.
0: And is this a spinoff of Big Wednesday? No, it is not <laughs> a spinoff of Big Wednesday. No, I mean, I guess there's a lot of movies that, um, have Vietnam tie ins, but yeah, I hadn't seen this movie until about a year ago. And it lived up to the hype of the things that I knew about it. Again, trying to be super vague, but there, I knew that, um, There was going to be one sort of like mind-bending aspect to it, and I was not prepared for some of the the horror like esque surreal imagery. There's um some there's a scene in a hospital. That's all I'll say. That's (laughs) very memorable. It's gonna be really cool on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, exactly seeing it in a theater. Kind of, it's definitely a movie that is different. I would assume on rewatch than your first watch. Um, So yeah, that's, (laughs) this is, this is a fun exercise to, uh, especially for certain movies. Like I don't, I don't. I'm not holding myself back when I talk about League of Their Own, but when you talk about a movie like this, I'm really trying to dance around <laughs> a few things. Absolutely,
1: and some <laughs> other big selling points. I think uh, Maurice Jar does the soundtrack for it, and he's been doing scores since the '60s. So some fans of maybe uh, classic cinema, I think would really also appreciate this movie. Maurice Jarre did Eyes Without a Face, Lawrence of Arabia, and then around this time he did Ghosts and Fatal Attraction. Okay. So he was working it within the thriller genre. He's, he's, he's sort of at the end of his career here, um, so he's got a lot of mature... Uh, powers at his um, disposal um, with the score. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to leave this one a little vague, but it's a really rare one. Um, Tim Robbins is the star. I really highly rem- recommend people check out Jacob's Ladder.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm ready. And also a good sort of, it's not exactly a horror movie. It's definitely more of a psychological thriller, but it is a good, uh, it'll start getting you in the headspace for, (laughs) for October.
1: Absolutely. And just like, um, scanners, it's got some good special effects. It's got, it's got a good visual presence. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So now we're on to our last week of the month, September 22nd through the 28th. Uh, we've got two movies. The first of which is the dark Knight from 2008. Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. (laughs) The follow-up to Batman begins. The Dark Knight reunites director Christopher Nolan and star Christian Bale who reprises the role of Batman and Bruce Wayne in his continuing war on crime. With the help of Lieutenant Jim Gordon and District Attorney Harvey Dent, Batman sets out to destroy organized crime in Gotham for good. The triumvirate proves effective, but soon finds himself prey to a rising criminal mastermind known as... Dot, 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 the Joker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who thrusts... Gotham into anarchy and forces Batman closer to crossing the fine line between Hero and Vigilante. Heath Ledger stars as arch-villain the Joker, also featuring Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel Dawes, and returning from Batman begins are Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, Michael Caine, Michael Caine as Alfred, and Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox.
0: Katie Holmes not returning. Nope, we got Maggie. <laughs> yeah. um, so this brings up an interesting kind of um, thought for me. Like 2008, uh, How to Train Your Dragon was. I wonder what the newest movie we've discussed has been. And in Pan's Labyrinth, even 2006. Like now we're occasionally getting into territory where we might have seen these movies. I definitely saw The Dark Knight like in theaters as my first viewing. It's 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 just like a different feeling kind of one we're getting old um, especially me but two, like going into a movie where your first impression is from the theater now having all this distance but like uh, probably I'm just curious this is this is one that's in sort of like a limbo period from um, I wonder how close you remember your original experience with it and like it being a newer movie
1: absolutely so before i answer that i'll just say that um this is part of our september sequels with terminator two um and you know we had been thinking about playing this movie for months maybe years um and um my manager really wanted to pull it out for comic-con and also you know we just had oppenheimer come out and everybody saw that right. and it just felt right to revisit this phase in nolan's career you know cillian murphy um is in batman begins i think he's just in it for a second in the dark night but this is this is really uh, sort of nolan's coming coming out movie and in a big way oh yeah it's it's not his first movie by any means but uh this movie was something else when it came out and that'll segue into your question which is i totally remember seeing this movie it was filmed in chicago and um i saw it in chicago and Some of these spots that are filmed in the movie, I was hanging out in just before watching the movie. So watching it was just a super memorable experience because I was with my friends and we were just pointing out different locations that we happened to be in um, that were in the movie. Right. (laughs) Um, So it was cool. But I mean, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker was just a you know a show stopper it, it's really something else and the fact that he died shortly thereafter was just really tragic um and it's it it's time to revisit this movie and people should really um respect his contribution to it
0: yeah it's not often you get a visionary director like nolan you know kind of wrapped up into three a three movie franchise where you know based on like The rest of his career that feels like um a big detour but he was able to make it his own and like kind of create this dichotomy between the marvel movies were just getting ramped up and they were going to be like bright and and have like banter back and forth between the characters and and sort of capture this like um goofier side of of superheroes where the dark knight was dark and gritty and and heath ledger's performance was so like disturbing i mean following in the the history of (laughs) of maniacal joker performances like his it's a hard role to step into because of of um, Jack Nicholson's and and like
1: Mark Hamill, yeah, yeah, and Mark
0: <laughs> Hamill's um, previous kind of iconic performances as well. So, it, it, I think it's been it's been years now, at least since I've watched this, and obviously it's been since its original theatrical run that I've seen it uh, on the big screen. So. As I was going back through Nolan movies for Oppenheimer, this isn't one of the ones that, that I revisited um, because I felt like it was relatively fresh in my mind. But seeing it in theaters again will be um, will like, take me right back to where I was as well, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the year 2008 and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, when I rewatched a little bit of this one, it it really did kind of feel like the end of an era. I, I always think of... A sort of nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight to two thousand eight as kind of this own time period, uh, the, the George W. Bush years maybe yeah. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it, it's just um, from two thousand eight to kind of two thousand eighteen or two thousand nineteen the pandemic. I I kind of see that as a second phase um just in cinema um and yeah it, just with Heath Ledger dying it kind of feels like this high point in a strange way that that kind of never really comes again after in in a certain way and not to say that um there aren't great performances after but it, it's a it's a it has a it stings in a in a special way that I was uh surprised on the rewatch
0: yeah in I don't even know how people feel about christian bale's like performance compared to all the other people that have worn the bat suit but he's probably my favorite kind of like a little bit of a blank slate but the perfect kind of like command and physique and you know american psycho is also one of my favorite movies and just kind of he has a sort of stoic, deadpan quality, but like a real pent up um, <laughs> uh, danger in him, and and yeah. so even though you aren't seeing a ton of emoting through the bat suit, typically, he and I think I think when the first one came out, people were like, "Oh, his voice—he's doing too much gruff with his voice sure. or something," but like. I've always thought he was was um, solid. Was a great, yeah, addition to to the
1: Batman canon as well. Yeah, I mean, Michael Caine's one of my favorite. Alfred. <laughs> I am, yeah, and I love. I'm a big Gary Oldman fan. Yep. So anything Gary, I want to watch. You know, it's just uh, I love his career. Um, so it's it's just a powerhouse cast for sure. Um, lots of big names. It's gonna be a big. It's gonna be cool to see this movie with a crowd. It, it, it really is. So that's The Dark Knight for 2008. All right. All right. Now we're getting to our last movie of the month. This is our deep cut series pick called Blowout from 1981. It began with a sound that no one was ever supposed to hear. Yes,
0: he says he pulled the girl out of the car. I would like you to forget about
1: her. Yeah, that's what I heard just before the tire blew out. You're right, it was a shot.
0: He recorded a murder.
1: Here's the description: Set in gritty early 1980s Philadelphia, blowout stars John Travolta as a film sound effects man working for a two-bit movie studio. Assigned to record new sound effects for the studio's latest low-budget slasher film, he takes to the night recording the sound of wind, frogs, owls, and as fate would have it, a car accident. This incident sets the wheels in motion for one of the greatest paranoid thrillers of all time, as director Brian De Palma calls upon his legendary ensemble of Nancy Allen, John Lithgow, and cinematographer Vilmo Sigmund, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Deliverance, and composer Pino Donaggio Carrie, Just to Kill.
0: So many things to latch on to in that short synopsis or description there, um, but that's just, I don't know, I just love kind of like movies that also reference like the technical side of movie making. De Palma does that um, somewhat regularly, and... um I'm beating around the bush because I haven't seen this movie, um, and this will be my first. I do I have... Left, the, I yeah. left
1: the description intentionally vague. There are some, a few adjectives that people use to describe this thriller because it is another September thriller for this month, um, and I I purposely ignored one of them because I think it really just kind of sets the tone that should be left up, obscure, and I, I think just... Go into it knowing that it's a thriller, there's a car accident involved, and he's a sound guy. That's all you need to know. But I think you're absolutely right that this is part of a tradition of analog technology thrillers. So (laughs) There you go. That's
0: a good way to put it. uh,
1: Peeping Tom from 1960 is a British one that's all about uh, uh, film cameras. Uh, But obviously the title, Blowout, is a reference to one of the greatest ones of all time. Blow up from 1966 Antonioni's uh film about photography analog photography um but this movie is much more specifically um about sound and is much more specifically in reference to uh Francis Ford Coppola's movie The Conversation with Gene Hackman which is again about um somebody who records audio on analog tape for a living um, and uh, is very skilled at that Um, so this is a very different take on that technology but um, I just want to say the reason you know um, I am super super excited to play this movie I've been wanting to play this movie for since I first started working at the Academy, I've never seen it on the big screen. This is going to be a, a very special one. And unlike big Wednesday, my previous pick, this is not as obscure of a movie. So I'm going a little bit more mainstream, but I I want to remind people that uh, the deep cut series criteria that I have isn't whether or not you've heard of it. It's whether or not you've seen it on the big screen. And I'm really trying to put movies in that context that people haven't seen. So I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that people are familiar and have seen this movie. A lot of our staff have, um, but nobody I know has seen it on the big screen, um, in this, in this state. So I, I'm really excited. And you know, that's the, you know, why did I program this movie? It's, it's really just cause I couldn't take it anymore. I, I needed to see Blowout on the big screen. And it, this was the time, this movie had been getting bumped off of lists that I, uh, program, uh, programs we've made for years. And I was like, no, this time this month we're actually doing it um, so
0: quick question for you then uh, last night I watched uh, rewatched for the millionth time the fog it's kind of like an annual movie whenever we have our first big cloudy rainy day <laughs> I need to watch it um, awesome. which we had here in Portland this week yeah um, I watched it on my combo VHS um, 13 inch like old school TV, CR, CRT. CRT yeah. TV. And I do have a VHS copy of Blowout, even though I haven't seen it. So should I see it at the Academy
1: or should I watch it on my. <laughs> you should definitely watch the DCP <laughs> okay. at the Academy on the big screen. Uh, there are uh, some really. Uh, and it's if I can just say one reason to do it. It's Vilmos Sigmund. So Vilmos Sigmund, to me, is the best cinematographer of all time. You check out his filmography. It's just mind-blowing. He worked with Altman, uh, he, Deliverance, you know, he is just a fantastic cinematographer, the best. And seeing his photography on the big screen here in Blowout is just perfect, you know. And so we. I, I always think of... Uh, blowout as uh, a thematic sequel to dress to kill okay and to me uh, brian Palma was one of my favorite directors and just like cronenberg I, and john carpenter i think they have these three movies that are just these perfect movies um and i always think of um blowout as the last one so in 20 i think it was 2020 right after it might have been 2021 for october we played carrie And then last year twenty yep, and it was beautiful. I love it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And then last year in twenty twenty two we played Dress to Kill, which is a lot more controversial than Blowout, but and was a lot more successful than Blowout when it first came out. Um, but I highly recommend People watch Dress to Kill before they. So if you have the VHS, okay. But Kino Larber just put out a brand new 4K of Dress to Kill. If you can watch that, that's pretty sweet. Um, but if you don't like Dress to Kill, don't be put off. Um, Blowout is different. It's just thematically related. It is there are two sides of the coin. And uh, in general, Dress to Kill is much more of a jollo much more of a erotic thriller, um, and. Blowout is much more of a paranoid thriller. And I'm, I'm using that word carefully because it's vague. I don't want to give away specific or or blow smoke. A- another thing about this description is that it was just filled with accolades and just talking up the movie so much. I, I purposely um, took out some of these um words just because I didn't want to set up that um this movie uh, w- w- was the greatest movie of all time. Sometimes people go into that, but I just want to set up that I'm really really excited and I've been fighting to see this uh, to put this movie on the big screen for years and years and years. So, um get excited, but don't come into it with, you know, the most lofty ideas if you can and just watch it on face value. I'm really
0: curious to see um This comes at an interesting point in Travolta's career (laughs) as well, so I'm really curious to see him kind of playing in a more, I don't know, grittier role or just world, kind of a seedier um, world than we're used to seeing him, um, or we, you know, from Greece to his 80s movies, like this randomly coming in there, it seems um, like it'll, it'll just be an acting showcase for him, I assume.
1: And this explains why Tarantino put him in Pulp Fiction. So this is showing a new side that, of Travolta that many people hadn't been exposed to before. Um, and it's a great performance by him, if um, if I may say so. And uh, it, it's very different. And he really wanted to play it. So that's another interesting thing about this movie is that Travolta uh, sort of went out of his way to play a part in this movie at a time when he was kind of the king of disco in a weir- in a way. Yeah, and he
0: had worked I mean, he's barely in Cary, but he had worked with De Palma yep. in that, obviously so he he probably really respected um, De Palma as an artist and I assume that was part of his, his um, motivation there.
1: Yep, and Nancy Allen is also back from Carrie, and of course, Just to Kill. She's De Palma's wife at the time. Oh, okay. Um, and I just love, she's one of my favorite actresses of all time. Uh, so that's blowout from 1981 okay that's eight movies right yep that's eight movies um, our biggest lineup since we started the podcast I Yep, think. and um our very next episode we're going to be reviewing a few movies do you want to give the teaser of what movies we're going to review
0: yeah we're going to do a little um a quick review of madman that was the the horror slasher camp movie from um august and then we are going to talk about your previous deep cut movie big wednesday really excited for that and then of course the cherry on top of of my cinematic life <laughs> will be talking about um david lynch's blue velvet um i should be wearing my hat you see my hat over there have <laughs> a blue velvet hat oh, yeah. hanging on my my coat rack so um yeah those will be our review movies looking
1: back at august all right thanks for listening everybody um and go out and watch some great movies
0: yeah and subscribe to the podcast um for that episode and um our october preview and we're going to keep this uh this bi-monthly schedule going so um search academy revival podcast on spotify or apple and all other podcast places I think that's it. Clown, they call the sandman Tiptoes to my room every night
1: And Just a
0: sprinkle of stardust
1: and a whisper Go to sleep Everything is alright
0: I close my eyes